You are listening to the National University Podcast. Hello, I'm Kimberly King. Welcome to the National University Podcast, where we offer a holistic approach to student support, well-being, and success, the whole human education. We put passion into practice by offering accessible, achievable, higher education to lifelong learners. Today, we're talking about deep fakes. According to a recent article in The Guardian, AI-generated fake videos are becoming more common and convincing, and why we should be worried. Today's guest discusses fostering a climate of ethics, trust, and reasonable creation, and encourages content creators to use integrity. On today's episode, we're talking about deep fakes and how to spot them. And joining us is Dr. Federica Fornachari, and she's a professor, a researcher, a children's book author, and the academic program director for the Maine Strategic Communications at National University. She's received a doctorate in communication with a concentration in electronic security and privacy from the University of Illinois at Chicago and a Master of Arts in Journalism and Mass Communication from Marshall University. Her research and teaching revolve around emerging technologies, privacy issues, digital identities, frame theory, and media representation. Wow. Interesting. Frederica has published several peer-reviewed articles and book chapters, and her multifaceted journey embodies the spirit of exploration, nurturing intellectual growth, and fostering connection amidst amidst the ever-evolving landscape of communication. And we welcome her to the podcast. Dr. Fornichiari, how are you? I'm great. Uh, Thank you so much, Kim, for your introduction. It's a pleasure to be here. Wow, what a fascinating area that you're studying and um, so relevant. And so today, uh, I want to see if you could fill our audience in a little bit on your mission and your work before we get to today's show topic. Absolutely, yeah. Um, You know, I am passionate about uh, social justice for sure and passionate about uh, um, human uh, behavior. I'm passionate about uh, uh, helping people ultimately to um, navigate through the media landscapes um, in a successful way. And we will talk a lot about media literacy today, I believe. We'll see how the conversation goes. But, uh, you know, with my students, uh, I try to help them uh, understand the complexity of uh, um, today's environment handling technology successfully with social media, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, um, how the media frame and talk about issues, what they include in the issue, what they leave out. Uh, um, It's all about media literacy and it's all about uh, trying to make the world a better place ultimately. I love it. And boy, again, no time like the present, right? It's just, it's gone just to the wild, wild west, it feels like. Um, today we're talking about how deep fakes work and what is a deep fake? What is that technology? And uh, so, Doctor, could you provide a brief explanation of what deep fakes are and how they're created? Yeah, absolutely, Kim. You know, deep fakes are for sure a fascinating aspect of modern media, um, though they also are a very concerning one. Uh, you know, essentially, they are synthetic videos or audios or images that use the power of artificial intelligence and deep learning. That's why they're, they're called deep fakes, because it has to do with deep learning. Um, to convincingly manipulate uh, someone's appearance and action. Right. So picture this uh, um, through cutting edge neural networks, 
uh, deepfakes analyze enormous data sets of a specific person. Uh, typically, you know, it can be a celebrity or a public figure because there is obviously way more content uh, about public figures and celebrities, but it can be, you know, a regular person too. Um, and they learn every minute detail of their facial expression, of their mannerism, of their speech patterns. So as a result of these pretty sophisticated learning process, the technology can seamlessly (laughs) superimpose the likeness of that target individual into someone else who we can refer to as the actor, right? So the outcome is a pretty deceptively realistic video or audio or image that makes it look um, as if the target person is doing or saying something they are actually never done or never said, right? So it is pretty astonishing to witness how realistic these deep fakes can be, uh, especially, you know, technology evolves uh, uh, at an incredible speed, um, but obviously also raises critical concerns, you know, the in- potential to infringe upon privacy, to manipulate identities. Uh, they've become a hotbed for ethical and societal discussion, you know, from tarnishing the reputation of public figures to spreading misinformation. They can cause pretty significant challenges for media integrity and for public trust, ultimately. That's really frightening to think what they can do. And I I guess the concerns that have been raised about privacy, as you mentioned, and identity manipulation. How do you see this technology impacting individuals and society as a whole? It's it's pretty scary, honestly, though, you know, I'm a positive thinker too. Um, You know, they have deep, deep fakes have emerged as a huge concern when it comes to privacy, when it comes to identity manipulation. The ramifications of this technology can be far-reaching, as, as you can imagine. Uh, they can impact both individuals and society in very significant ways. So, you know, on an, on an individual level, um, the fakes can have devastating effects, whether it's for a public person, a public figure, or, uh, a, you know, me or you, possibly, who knows? With the ability to so convincingly create fabricated video, fabricated audio that impersonates someone, innocent individuals might find themselves entangled in false narratives uh, or in compromising situations they've never experienced. So these can lead to so many consequences, you know, reputational damage, emotional distress, legal consequences, possibly, uh, potential harm to personal relationships, you name it. So even more so, deepfakes can um, uh, erode, if you will, the very essence of, of trust in media and information. As the technology evolves, which it does uh, day in and day out, it becomes more accessible. We, me and you could fairly easily access have access to apps that create deep fakes. So distinguishing authentic content, genuine content from manipulated content becomes increasingly challenging. And uh, these Without, goes without saying, it can lead to skepticism where people question whether, you know, every piece of media they encounter is authentic or fabricated. So society may witness a pretty concerning decline in the credibility of video evidence, which 
can have consequences, you know, in the legal context, or they can create obstacles in determining the truth, uh, hindering the pursuit of justice. So, you know, this can have implications for criminal investigations, court proceedings, the confidence in the judicial system, whether there is any left uh, at this point anyway, which, <laughs> I mean, we don't need to make it worse. Um, Seriously. I so, mean, and even going back to what you were saying about the trust in the media, I mean, not, it doesn't matter what side you're on this day and age, mm-hmm. the media, it's, it's hard to find it trustworthy because uh, of just the content that, and it's, you know, I don't have to go into detail here, but you know where I'm, I'm going with this. It, again, it doesn't matter what side. Politics have come and played oh. a, a part. And I guess who who's held accountable when it be, becomes an AI issue? And you do want to take it to the legal process. Who's accountable for that? Yeah, that's, you know, that's that's something that we all need to work on, like policymakers, the legal systems, the uh, individuals, the, you know, educators, everyone should be involved, uh, technology companies, every everyone needs to work together uh, to make sure that... Uh, deep fakes are, you know, that this technology is used in ethical ways, that this technology fulfills a need rather than create a problem. Wow. Well, when considering the impact of deep fakes, which individuals or groups are particularly vulnerable to the potential consequences of these manipulative technologies? Oh, you know, I mean, potentially everyone, right? Uh, the reach of, of deepfakes, unfortunately, is very wide. But certain groups, for sure, tend to be more significantly affected and more vulnerable. Marginalized communities are particularly mm-hmm. at risk. You know, deepfakes can exacerbate existing inequalities. They can target those who are already disproportionately disadvantaged. Manipulated content can uh, you know, amplify hate speech. It can fuel discrimination. Mm-hmm. It can uh, perpetuate false narratives uh, and uh, further um, make it even more problematic for social progress to happen, right? So we've seen the consequences of of deepfakes in so many domains. Um, In humanitarian crises or emergency situations, deepfake, they can hinder relief efforts. They can exacerbate confusion. Um, Humanitarian aid workers and those who are affected by the crisis could encounter um, challenges in delivering and receiving accurate information. It is scary, you know. Um, You know, on on that point, and I don't mean to interrupt you, but because you brought up the humanitarian crisis and relief efforts. So how do you protect yourself? How do you know if you want to donate to a relief effort and that, that it's not a deep fake? Yeah, I mean, it's it's complicated for sure. You need to um, double check your sources to you need to do some research, try and use the, you know, more um, probably the, the fire department or organizations or, or you know, entities that uh, are easier to uh, check. And uh, we can always make phone calls. You can, you can always, it's, it's yeah. hard. It's, it's complicated, especially for those who, you know, uh, may feel the urgency of act, like to act. They may feel the urgency to help. Um, they may not think through uh the, the need to protect themselves as well and to make sure that their money goes in the right direction. So, 
But that's such great advice. And especially, as you say, for those that have been marginalized or even the elderly who seem to always get involved or often that seems to be a huge target, you know, for financial elder abuse. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, like uh, media literacy, like the the elderly are used to, uh, they grew up uh, before uh, the crazy technologies that we're used to yeah. today, right? So they were used to have a, a complete trust uh, in traditional media, right? So mm-hmm. now they don't necessarily, they haven't, not all of them at least, have been able to update their literacy to understand the implications of current technologies and to understand that we cannot trust them 100%. Um, so, you know, like uh, it used to be a physical problem of someone knocking at the door and trying to get money from them. Now it's even more problematic because, um, uh, you know, they they are trusting the device. They are trusting the internet. You know, it's, it's someone wrote it there. Someone let them publish it. So it must be double checked, fact checked. Um, so that's why media literacy is such an important component of helping. Mm, I, love, I love what you're doing. And again, it's so timely. Um, as deep fake technology becomes more accessible, what are some potential ethical implications <laughs> that media consumers and creators should be aware of? Oh, there are many for sure. One primary concern uh, for sure revolves around uh, the potential for misinformation and deception. As we have said, deepfakes can pretty convincingly fabricate content. They blur the line between reality and fiction. So media consumers need to exercise caution in trusting sources. They need to develop critical thinking skills. They need to verify the authenticity of uh, the content that they encounter and they share because there is another component here to, to remember. You know, maybe I wouldn't trust uh, um, an information coming from I don't know, a name that I haven't seen, but if my friend or like someone that I know share that information, I use their sharing as, uh, you know, a confirmation that this may be true. So before we share, we need to think about what we're sharing as well, um, because we are endorsing a statement in a way, right? Privacy violation are another critical consideration there. Um, you know, the ease of creating deep fakes raises questions about individuals' consent and the control over their own likeness. Uh, so creators must responsibly seek uh, proper consent when they're using someone's image or identity in their work. Uh, they have to respect individuals' autonomy. The risk of abuse, harassment, cyberbullying, again, uh, you name it. These are all troubling concerns. You know, deepfakes can so easily be exploited to target and harm different communities, different individuals. Again, particularly public figures, uh, but also vulnerable communities. So there are very serious consequences for the individual and for society. So media authenticity is at stake here. Um, Consumers that rely on accurate information and credible sources to make their informed decisions can encounter problems there, of course. Reputation and identity can be at stake. You know, when deepfakes portray someone engaging in actions or they never did, these manipulations can have far-reaching personal and professional consequences. 
obviously. Mm. So intellectual property rights. And uh, if we want to look at a bigger picture too, another consequence that we may not immediately think about, but it's that deep fakes can have profound cultural and social implications. You know, they can distort historical events. They can distort cultural figures. So they may alter the collective memory and the perception mm -hmm. of our shared past, which is, you know, another layer of scariness, I think, or something that's pretty um, concerning for sure. Absolutely. I mean, and, and we've already seen a little bit of this just with, you know, wanting to alter history and, and erase the past, but, uh, and being that it's in a digital format rather than just in books and, you know, and again, in perspective, but uh, it's really frightening to think uh, what, where we can go uh, or what's happening. Deep fakes have also been used to create fake news. We just talked about media literacy mm -hmm. and misinformation. And how can we combat the spread of malicious deep fake content and then also protect the integrity of the media? Yeah, you know, Kim, that's that's a complex, uh, uh, a layered question again. You know, fighting the spread of malicious deepfake content to make sure that the integrity of the media is preserved is a critical challenge, and uh, it requires a multifaceted approach for sure. First of all, raising awareness, promoting media literacy is crucial. You know, as media consumers, we must be equipped with. Uh, the knowledge and with the tools to identify potential deepfakes, you know, by fostering critical thinking skills, we can um, better discern what's authentic and what's manipulated. Collaboration between technology companies, researchers, policymakers, everyone involved is also crucial. Um, you know, being able to create a sophisticated deepfake detection technology that, you know, could be key in identifying and flagging malicious content um, across different platforms. You know, working together would be a way to uh, stay one step ahead of, the, uh, of those who seek to exploit the technology for harmful purposes. Transparency, accountability for content creators are essential. As uh, media experts, right, if we're on the other side, we must uh, make sure that we're ad adhering to ethical standards even more than we all ever did. We must disclose any use of deep fakes that uh, can be uh, displayed in our work. Uh, we must provide clear labels, watermarks, perhaps, that can help uh, distinguish authentic content from manipulated content. You know, fostering a climate of transparency and trust would be necessary to help media consumers stay, uh, you know, with the, like, keep um, reading and stay there to, to gather information, trusting that the sources that they're using are um, authentic, right? Obviously, regulatory measures uh, would be might be necessary to curb uh, the misuse of deepfakes, right? Through um, technology is always evolving faster than the legal system and the regulation, so it may it can be a little difficult for the legal system to keep up. But you know, governments could explore policies that require explicit disclosure of deepfake content 
for instance, and penalties for those who create and disseminate malicious deep fakes with harmful intent. But again, you know, it's a very fine line. It's complicated to be able to create uh, regulations that don't hinder the creation while protect uh, the possible harm. Ultimately, I think that uh, ethic is often the answer, especially when, you know, because the technology evolves so fast. Um, So creating a a culture of uh, ethical and responsible creation and sharing, again, of media content is essential by emphasizing the ethical use of deepfakes, uh, encouraging content creators to prioritize and check accuracy and authenticity. We can hope to combat the spread of malicious content. Fingers finger crossed always, right? You know, but it's so important to preserve the, the integrity of the media and in the fake, especially in the face of deep fake generated content, uh, fake news, misinformation. It needs to be a collective effort there, right? So media literacy, education, uh, detection technologies, responsible content creation, through these multifaceted approach, we can uh, hopefully empower ourselves to navigate the complex landscape in a more responsible way and hopefully safeguard the credibility of our media ecosystem. Even so, credibility mm-hmm. and media are not going hand in hand, in hand <laughs> that much anymore. It's unfortunate. Right. Now- it is unfortunate, but at least these are some language, this language we've been hearing more and more about with the, you know, fake news and just the integrity that is lacking in uh, media, uh, in the media today. Um, with the rise of deep fake videos, do you think that there's a risk of undermining the credibility of real video evidence in legal context? And, and then how will this challenge be addressed? I mean, without question, for sure. You know, as deep fake technology becomes more sophisticated and accessible, the potential to create convincingly fake videos that are increasingly difficult to distinguish from real footage raises serious concerns for the judicial, for the justice system and uh, for the integrity of the evidence that we present in courts. One of the primary challenges I believe, um, lies in the difficulty of detecting deep fakes, especially as they become more and more realistic, right? So courts and legal professionals have always heavily relied on video evidence to establish fact, to determine guilt versus innocence, right? And to deliver just verdicts, ultimately. Um, So if deepfake videos are mistakenly admitted as authentic evidence, it can lead to wrongful judgments, ultimately compromising the fairness, the accuracy of the judicial process. So this is scary for our society, for Mm -hmm. sure. So, and again, I believe that addressing this challenge requires a a multi-pronged approach. First, research development. So investing in in new technologies, advanced deepfake detection tools is critical. 
so you know the collaboration between technology experts and legal professionals could lead hopefully to the creation of reliable and efficient methods to identify manipulated content, uh, whether videos or audios. So these detection techniques could help courts to scrutinize video evidence effectively, hopefully, and distinguish between real footage and deep fakes. Media literacy, again, among media professional and juror is vital. Um, we need to ensure that everyone involved uh, in the legal proceedings understand the challenges of deep fakes and uh, act with uh, wow. understanding of yeah. that. This is such an important conversation, and we have to take a quick break. It's so interesting, Doctor. Thank you. Uh, stay with us. We'll be I have more in just a moment. Don't go away. And now a national university tip on getting started. For me personally, I knew I wanted to pursue an education due to what I wanted to do in, in life. But if I had to look back at somebody in my same position, I would tell them, for one, get rid of every reason why you can't go to school. Just deciding and then committing to it, the first place to start is, what do you enjoy? What do you care about? And if there's a degree that you know you can translate that into, then let's go after that. If you're unsure, talk to somebody who's currently in school. If you're serving with somebody who's going to school, talk to them about it and what their experience is like. The thing is, I truly believe as far as the general education, it's a perfect time to develop an understanding of what you wanna do. It helps you figure out what you wanna do. There's always going to be room to adjust, to make changes. And so looking at anybody who was sitting in my position and they're thinking about going to school, I would tell them to go down to that college office. They can guide you and, and help you figure out what it is or ways that you can make it happen. Now back to our interview with National University Professor Dr. Federica Fornichari, and we are discussing deep fakes and how to spot them. And Doctor, this has been such a fascinating conversation. Some argue that deep fakes could be used positively for entertainment or historical preservation, but this doesn't sound this way <laughs> when we're discussing what you've mentioned already. How can we strike a balance between the creative use of this technology and, of course, its potential for harm? Yeah, you know, there's always hope, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to start, to begin with, uh, I believe that embracing transparency and responsible use of deep fakes is essential, though it may sound like a fairy tale <laughs> at this point, but there's hope again, you know, as, as content creators, we should be forthright about the use of this technology. And uh, this includes, um, you know, the context of entertainment and historical representation as well. Um, if we transparently label deepfake content, we can help the audiences to differentiate between what's authentic and what's manipulated media. Um, fostering, a, you know, a hope for trust and informed consumption. Um, also, as we were discussing earlier, implementing ethical guidelines and uh, industry standards as well, obviously, can help mitigate harm um, by, you know, establishing best practices for the fake creation and dissemination. Um, we can hope to make sure that these technologies used responsibly, at least within, you know, like the, the 
part of the industry that we can control um, and use responsibly in ways that um, prioritize respect for individual privacy, individual rights, identity rights. So as always, I am an advocate for bringing all the stakeholders on board. So I believe, again, that collaboration between technology companies, researchers, educators, policymakers, and artists is uh, crucial in uh, shaping the responsible use of deepfakes. Um, you know, if we work together, we can address uh, challenges. We can share insights. We can uh, hopefully develop comprehensive solutions that uh, safeguard against uh, the uh, possible negative impacts of the technology. You know, every time that there is the, a new technology comes about, we are faced with uh, a, du a dual nature, you know, a blend of the potential benefits and ethical concerns. You know, so this phenomenon in, in, in the um, in scholarship is often referred to as the technological sublime that encapsulates the awe-inspiring aspect of innovation. Um, however, it's important to remember that technology itself is neutral, right? Technology itself is not inherently good or bad. It's the intention behind it. It's the applications that determine its ethical implications. So again, education, media literacy uh, initiatives can play um, a very important role in empowering individuals to uh, critically evaluate deepfake content, um, teaching the public how to spot and how to verify manipulated media can foster a discerning audience that can engage with this technology more responsibly, right? So, you know, if we embrace the creative potential of deepfakes for entertainment and historical preservation, while also we safeguard against the potential harm, um, I we need to have a multifaceted approach again. We need to promote transparency, we need to promote ethical practices and teach ethical practices. We need to promote responsible use, um, coupled with uh, advancement again in detection technology, media literacy again. So with all these components together, I think we can strike the right balance between harnessing the benefits of deep fakes, because there are potential benefits while mitigating the risks. You know, again, it's always through a collaborative effort, uh, a collective commitment that uh, we can hope for responsible innovation. So, and well, that's... And, and I think that's what you said earlier to mm -hmm. your point about how, you know, anytime there's an introduction of a new technology or something, this is the era that the media advances uh, in tech, you know, every, the digital... Uh, you know, forecast of what, everything we've seen from mm -hmm. typewriters to computers, you know, to where we had a pager to now this phone does everything, right? Mm -hmm. So we're living this to see it and the checks and balances. Um, this is, it's going by at a rapid rate, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's, it's fascinating. And, you know, like when I was uh, going through my PhD, when I was working on my dissertation, I was looking at how the, you know, 
public understanding of privacy changes with technology. And it was fascinating to see that, you know, I was starting to research how people reacted to the telegraph. And you know what they were writing in the media about the telegraph? Privacy is dead. Get over it. So that's the narrative that (laughs) it's been around for a while. That should be the beginning of your book, by the way, because it's fascinating. I I was thinking about back in the, what, in the 50s, they would have the party line or whatever, and Mm -hmm. everybody can come on board. So they were probably also talking about privacy during that point in time, too. But my, how we've changed. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's fascinating for sure. (laughs) Well, so you've been talking about the deep fakes and how often they target public figures and celebrities and how this impacts public trust in media and the authenticity of information. Do you have any um, specific examples of or, or anybody that you can think of? Uh, any cases? Oh, I mean, there there's countless, you know. We've seen deep fakes uh, with uh, Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, we've seen them with President Trump. We've seen them with uh, many other political figures. Uh, the, the fake news uh, during the political elections in 2016. There is uh, a huge number of uh, examples that we could bring about and that they, you know, it's often uh, a media war, right? The the creation of uh, misinformation to direct uh, political elections, to direct uh, support, endorsements, to direct uh, the public understanding of current events. You know, right. And that is true. I mean, especially as we're coming up on another political of way, you know, standby. Oh, <laughs> but yes. <laughs> you know, back in the day, just even with t- television news and sensational ratings, just whoever is going to put eyes on a specific station because uh, they got that interview or whatever. But everything is so, you know, sensationalized. Right. Oh, um, absolutely. And, yeah. It's just Wow. Well, okay, so how are social media platforms and tech companies responding to the threat posed by deepfakes? And uh, and are there current efforts to adequate adequate and um, what more can be done? You know, social media platforms and tech companies uh, have been actively responding to the threat of deepfakes. Um, You know, they obviously have recognized the potential harm that deepfakes can cause to their users and to the integrity mm-hmm. of the platforms. So, you know, while the efforts have been commendable for sure, the ever-evolving nature of technology, the ever-evolving ne- nature of deepfake technology especially, calls for ongoing vigilance and co- for continuous improvement. So, you know, many social media platforms have um, implemented policies uh, and guidelines, community guidelines, that prohibit the sharing of deceptive or and or harmful deepfake content, right? Um, the guidelines typically aim to prevent the spread of deepfakes targeting public figures, celebrities, private individuals. As mentioned earlier, you know, the technology is often also the, the answer. So platforms are, are investing in artificial intelligence and machine learning technologies to try and detect and remove deep, deepfake content from the platforms. They're collaborating with researchers, with academics, industry partners to develop uh, um, detection algorithms. However, you know, I mean, there are many efforts, but are there are also remaining challenges, right? They technology 
advances so fast. So this rapid advent, uh, advancement means that um, the new and more convincing forms of manipulation will always emerge. So it's crucial for social media platforms and tech companies to try and stay ahead of the curve, keep updating the detection technologies that they have, you know, it's like the black hat, white hat fight here. I believe that a collective industry-wide approach is needed, is necessary to be able to, you know, create standardized practicing practices that help them and us to handling deepfakes, collaboration among competitors to address the shared challenge would be, you know, would help leading to a more robust solution. Greater transparency, I can never emphasize that enough, you know, and content moderation is essential because we don't know sometimes how content is moderated. We don't understand always how these um, platforms remove content or discriminate between what content can stay and what content has to go. So it'd be helpful if these social media platforms are as forthcoming as possible in disclosing their strategy for tackling deepfakes, including, you know, including detection mechanism for content removal, because obviously this transparency would help to build the trust with the users and with the wider public. So understanding how content is removed would help us. Right. Kind of having that bird's eye view or that back, you know, behind the scenes, what, what is, what are the ramifications? Um, What, in what ways might deepfakes exacerbate existing issues of representation and diversity in the media and how can we mitigate these effects? Oh yeah, Kim, this, this is another uh, very interesting problem. You know, as we said earlier, when there's something that's already weak, technology can, you know, uh, foster that weakness or like, a, in a way, exploit it. You know, deepfakes are, can be manipulative in nature. So they obviously do run the risk of perpetuating harmful stereotypes. and misrepresentation, right? They can further marginalize diverse groups. They can uh, reinforce power imbalances in media landscape. One concern is the potential of deepfakes to reinforce biases, right? And biased narratives by altering the appearance or behavior of uh, individuals from different racial, ethnic, or cultural backgrounds, for instance, you know? So this kind of misrepresentation can be very damaging. It can distort the authentic experiences of these diverse communities, right? Mm -hmm. So um, I believe that we also need to remember that um, the use of deep fakes for tokenistic representation is the worrisome trend you know when creators use manipulated content to appear inclusive without genuinely representing diverse voices you know it only serves to exploit these identities uh for superficial gains if you want you know while authentic opportunities uh, for underrepresented group to actually be there uh, may remain limited so you know Again, to address these challenges, it's crucial that media creators and platforms prioritize authentic uh, representation. You know, amplifying diverse voices and experiences uh, is a way 
hopefully to counteract the negative effects uh, of misrepresentation. So, you know, supporting underrepresented voices, investing in platforms that promote diversity can go a long way, I believe, in creating a more inclusive media environment that celebrates the richness of human experiences instead of, uh, you know, distorting it. In the end, I think that by staying proactive and again, by working together, we have the opportunity, we have, we will have the ability to navigate the challenges of deep fakes and to ensure that our media landscape becomes a place of authentic representation again and authenticity again, you know. Again, technology is not inherently bad. We have to keep this in mind. As long as we all work together for the common good, we can celebrate the opportunities that technology creates. Well, this in this evolving landscape of increasingly convincing deepfakes, what strategies can individuals employ to effectively identify these manipulative creations and differentiate them from authentic content? Did I mention media literacy before? <laughs> right? You know, Kim. I mean, I think that navigating these intricate terrain requires a combination of uh, acute observation and critical analysis, right? So there are, for sure, there are guidelines that we can follow to try and detect deep fakes, though we also, again, need to keep in mind that the pace of technological evolution is so fast. So these guidelines will quickly become outdated, probably, right? So we'll have to keep working on our media literacy, but to just, you know, give some ideas of what we can do is that first, when we look at audiovisual content, we can pay attention to facial expression, vocal modulation. Uh, deepfakes often have uh, subtle incongruities, especially in these areas, due to the complexity, obviously, of mimicking human nuances. So, you know, for instance, in lower quality deepfakes, people don't blink, right? But there are, you know, high, and they call them, I believe, cheap fakes, right? <laughs> but um, there are, you know, more sophisticated technologies that have learned how to make people blink. So again, the line is always blurring, you know, they are evolving so fast that we need to update our literacy almost daily. Another thing that we can do is pay attention to inconsistencies, right? We become detectives, so we can try and make it fun, right? We can look at lightning variations. We can look at shadow distortions, background congruities. Um, You know, there are little hard-to-notice irregularities that uh, may betray the artificial nature of the content, again, especially for cheap fakes. We can look at unnatural movements uh, that might give away a deep fake. Uh, again, anomalies in gestures, um, hand rotations, other motions that can be a sign of digital manipulation. So, you know, that would be the detective way to go about it. And also, you know, we can think a little more broadly about contextual analysis, that which is also a helpful strategy. So we can evaluate the content that we see in relation to the typical behavior of that individual, uh, the individual depicted, right? And discrepancies could unveil the presence of a deep fake as well, you know? Vetting the source authenticity is another strategy that we can use um, 
um, you know, tracing the origin of the content to make sure that it's legitimate or hopefully legitimate. You know, the New York Times is a more reliable source than, you know, someone's blog that I've never heard of before. And also, when technology is the problem, technology is often the solution too, right? So again, leveraging cutting edge technology that can help us vet whether content is fake or authentic. We can use artificial intelligence driven tools designed to uh, identify deep fakes. You know, uh, sometimes when my students submit their work uh, and I know their voice, so I can tell whether they have, uh, you know, uh, played around with ChatGPT or not. Uh, you can just copy a piece of text, go to ChatGPT and say, hey, did you write these? And mm -hmm. it will tell you. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> sometimes you can use it <laughs> for detection too. It can, yeah, it can turn around and get and bite you. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But yeah, but you know, ultimately, you know, as we try and 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 figure out what's real and what's not, you know, we can also trust our gut sometimes, you know, an intuitive sense plays a pivotal, a pivotal role there. You know, if a piece of media appears very sensational, you know, or suspicious, you know, we may need to engage in a little more examination there. So skepticism is often a good defense mechanism Oops. too. There is no IA that can capture that, right? Skepticism and being, mm -hmm. you know, that's that's very human. <laughs> so Absolutely. Uh, and hopefully it'll stay that way. Who knows? I, right, right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we've come down to the last question mm -hmm. and this has just been so fascinating. What role do policymakers and governments have in regulating these kind of deep fake technology while preserving freedom of expression and creativity? And I know we talked a little bit about this, but if there's anything else you want to say about that. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's it's striking the balance is tricky for sure. You know, policymakers and governments uh, play a very important role in regulating the use of deep fake technology while preserving freedom of expression and creativity. So again, there are several factors that we can consider and we should consider there. On one hand, uh, there is the need and the imperative to safeguard integrity of information to protect individuals from potential harm that deepfake can cause. So these might involve, again, crafting regulations that, you know, align the permissible uses of deepfakes, especially in contexts where deception can uh, lead to very meaningful consequences, such as fraud of information, you know, or such as, yeah, legal consequences as well. Though, these regulations should be crafted with, uh, I want to say, a keen awareness of uh, the importance of freedom of expression, right? And artistic creativity. So deep fake technology has the potential to be a tool for innovative storytelling, for entertainment, for education, for satire, you know? So... Again, the line is blurry there. Heavy-handed regulations could work against these forms of expression and so, you know, hinder the good part of these technologies, the good potentials. So, you know, as policymakers, we'll need to tread carefully, you know, 
perhaps even considering a case-by-case -case scenario in certain circumstances. I believe that they might focus on uh, measures such as, you know, transparent labeling again uh, of deepfake content, uh, making sure that the viewers or the readers are aware that what they are watching is fabricated content, you know. Mm -hmm. Again, it strikes a balance between allowing creative views of technology while also ensuring that consumers can distinguish between fact and fiction. Again, you know, we need to work together, collaborating between government, technology developers, content creators, advocacy groups, educators, and artists is key, I think. You know, an open dialogue can, I believe, lead to more nuanced regulations that protect against the negative uses and the malicious uses of deepfakes while also upholding the creative freedom and the artistic freedom there, you know? Again, education plays a role. Media literacy programs are needed. So, you know, as you can see, the role of policymakers and governments in Regulating deepfakes technology is, again, multifaceted. It, it, it has to do with uh, very delicately navigating that, um, that fine line between safeguarding trust and ensuring creative expression, right? So forging, if you want, a path where innovation can uh, succeed and can flourish, where society can remain uh, um, resilient, if you want, in the face of technological challenges. You know, I've always been a positive thinker. <laughs> so I believe that if we foster collaboration, if we embrace transparency, if we promote education and media literacy, I think that we can collectively collectively shape a future where deepfake technology enhances our world without compromising the essence of uh, our shared values and aspirations. Wow. Well, this is fascinating. You please get in touch with me when you write your book if you're looking for a publicist. This is fascinating, I think. But you're, uh, thank you for your time, doctor. If you want more information, you can visit National University's website. It is nu.edu. And we really look forward to your next visit. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kim. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate Thank you. Bye. Thank you. You've been listening to the National University Podcast. For updates on future or past guests, visit us at nu.edu. You can also follow us on social media. Thanks for listening.